Thank you, praise team, for reminding us how much we need the Lord. Amen? That's why we have Missions Month, isn't it? That's why we have missionaries, because we need God. Amen? And, uh, and so, thank you. Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate you sharing with us, and we appreciate what you do on a regular basis, and uh, getting the gospel out into the hands uh, where, where, people, where people need it. And... Uh, and using whatever you can, whether it's dental ministry, I think that's a creative way to do it, isn't it? That's what it takes to give people an opportunity to hear the gospel, and it's worth it. That's ministry you can really sink your teeth into. <laughs> All right, I'll let you chew on that one for a little bit. But, um, no, but I also like your sense of humor, the little dry things in there. I enjoy that, so, uh, so I appreciate that. But it's all about the gospel. Amen? And that's really what we're, what we're talking about right now. We're going through the book of Romans, and we're talking about the gospel. I am not going to attempt to go through the book of Romans in a week, though, just, just so you know. That's impressive, especially when it's 100 and some degrees. I don't know how they could stay awake uh, for, for that. Maybe it's because Romans is just so exciting. And when you really look at the message of, of Romans, I guess that, that would work. But uh, we're looking at the book of Romans just to make sure we're all caught up on the same page on where we're at. The, the gospel really begins with an understanding of sin. And so that's where Romans started us off, in understanding the nature of sin, understanding uh, what, what we deserve, really. But then it goes from there into the good news of the gospel, and that's the salvation. The fact that Jesus Christ, through his grace, provided a means of salvation for us. And that we accept it through, through what? Through faith. And it is not by works but through faith in what Jesus Christ did. And what a beautiful thing that is to understand salvation. And then that leaves us with the question, that if, if works is not involved in earning our salvation, then, then what's the role of works? Why, why do good things? Why should we avoid sin? In fact, uh, that's where we come into this process of what we call sanctification, which started in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1, we read the question, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And so the idea here is this idea of continuing in sin. Uh, we come to the point of salvation. Is it okay to accept the, the, the gospel, accept salvation, and then just continue in the, your habitual life and without any life change whatsoever and continuing in that way? And do you remember what Paul said? He answered two words. Certainly not. Certainly not. And then he goes on and explains the theology behind that and explains that we are dead to sin. We, we can't claim to be resurrected with Jesus Christ and skip the whole dying with him and associating with him through, through death as well. So, so we, have, uh, we, have, we have been crucified with Christ. Amen? Amen. And so we've died to, to that sin. And then we find that in the second half of the chapter a, a, a similar question. It says, what then? Shall we sin? This time it doesn't say continue in sin, but shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. So the idea isn't about your whole lifestyle. It's what, what's the motivation then when, when a sin presents itself? What's the motivation for saying no if it's all about grace, right? And it's not about our, our works. And so uh, the answer again was certainly not. And so when we looked at the, the rationale behind it is, is that we see all of these negative consequences of sin. And what, what we learned last week was that when we choose to give in to sin, what are we really giving into? We're giving into slavery and shame, and it's the path of death, is it not? And so we, we, should, we should avoid all of that. And, and when we don't give in to that, and we do what is right, and we avoid the sin, then really we experience a freedom 
That's real freedom because we're, we don't want to be slaves to sin. We want to have experience real freedom, which will re- give fruit towards righteousness. That is the path of life. And so that was what we dealt with last week. I want to read where, where Paul picks up, starting in chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. That's going to be our text for today. So let's read that together. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But... If the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passion, uh, passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Wow, what a passage. There, this is so theologically rich. And if we really understand this passage, I think it will it will definitely put us well on our way in the process of sanctification, becoming what God wants us to be. So let's take a look at this a little bit closer. We did a little flyover over this passage, but let's take a look uh, at the first couple of verses, starting with the first two letters, or, or. Um, when we look at the, 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 the letters, or, we, we realize that the concept here is a continuation of what has just been said. And what's just been said in the last half of chapter 6, we're talking about, is it okay to sin? What's the motivation for not sinning? And and, and Paul explained, we will make ourselves slaves to sin. We don't want to become slaves to sin and and suffer the shame that goes with that. And so then he goes on and says, or, in other words, this is a continuing idea. This is something that uh, takes it to the next next level. And so that's what this idea is. It's the same question, but a, a, a further explanation of the answer. And so then we find this illustration then of, of what slavery to sin is like. And I think this is, a, this is a masterful illustration of what slavery of sin is like. If you really look at the passage, it's comparing the slavery to sin to something that we can all relate to. It says, verse 1, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. For if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. And it compares it to being married. Now, when you think of marriage, you don't usually like to use words like bound. Or, you know, like if you refer to your wife as ball and chain, what kind of look is she going to give you? <laughs> right? And so when you hear words like that, you think, wait a minute. Uh, usually there's a, there are better images of, of, of marriage than being bound to something and, and being stuck to someone by law. And there's no escape. That's the idea that, that you feel in this. And, and so you get this idea that slavery to sin is, is like being married to an abusive husband, in a sense. When you, when you think about that analogy, it's, it, really, it really is a great picture of what being a slave to sin is like. Because when you're a slave to sin, you find that uh, uh, your, your sin nature is very abusive to you. Is it not? It's very abusive to you. 
when, when you think of it, and for example, if you were to take, uh, in fact, when, when someone takes drugs that harms their bodies, what do we call it? We call that drug abuse. Or if, if they drink uh, uh, alcohol and it's harming their body, they call it alcohol abuse, right? Sin nature is abusive. Sin never is doing what's best for you. Even if you like the sin in the moment, guess what? It is doing more damage to you than you can imagine. Amen? I mean, and drugs would just be an example of that, but it's true of all sin. Sin is never worth it. And uh, it's abusive. That's the nature of it. It's also deceptive. Sin is, by nature, deceptive. It tells you that what you are wanting is going to satisfy you, and then it doesn't. Isn't that true? And, and, and you can name the sin, every sin, and this applies to that. It's going to tell you, oh, this is, what, this is going to satisfy you, and then it doesn't. And maybe it's, it's just greed or something like that. And you say, oh, if I could just get this job, and you strive so hard, and you take extra classes, and you do all of this stuff, so you can get to this job, so you can have more money, so you can have all these things. And by the time you get there, you realize you haven't spent any time with your wife, you haven't spent any time with your children, they, don't, they hardly know who you are. And, and you look back and realize, what I thought I wanted isn't what I wanted all along. Right? It's the nature of sin. It's deceptive. It's controlling. Just ask anyone who is maybe involved with drugs and wants to get off drugs or wants to, to, to quit some type of sinful habit. It is difficult, is it not? Why? You don't want to do it, so it should be easy. But sin is controlling. And so when you look at that, you really, Paul's analogy here is really good. This idea that, that of this of, of being married to a, a, a a husband that, that you don't want to be married to, right? And so you, you understand that sin by nature, our sin natures do not have our best interests in mind. And so we, we see that analogy in verse 1. But if you look at halfway through verse 2, what does it say? But if the husband dies. Okay, now we have, we're beginning to see where this analogy is going to go. If that husband dies, what happens? You are released from the law that husband. Saying, if, if that husband dies, then, then you now have a, an ability to do what? To go on, and you are ex- free to experience true marital love. Now remember, this passage was not intended to teach us about marriage. It was intended to, uh, to take something that we already know. Remember, that's what he said in verse 1. Uh, he said, for I speak for those who know the law. So taking something that you already know and apply it to, to real life. Apply it to the idea of being a slave to sin. And so he's taking it from there and saying, just as if a person who's married and, and, and she has a husband that's abusive and, and he dies, now she's free to marry another person. Isn't that where the very next verse takes us? Let's look at verse, at verse 3. We read, so then, if her husband lives and she marries another man, she will be called what? An adulteress. It's not permitted by law. But if her husband dies, it says again, she is free from that law. So what? So that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. It frees her up, then, to marry another man. And uh, so that's the analogy. What's the point? What's the point of what uh, Paul, what is he bringing this to? And there's actually a couple of points. Number one, uh, we, we learn that you cannot serve two masters. Let me explain that. You can't, there's no option in, in here that says you can marry one and the other, right? You are married to the one, and until that marriage dies through the death of the one, which is why we usually say 
until death do us part when we marry people, right? Until that marriage dies, you are not free to marry someone else. If you do that, that is against the law, right? Um, so, even if you marry a loser, this is in the context here, and, uh, and, and, and wives, don't point at your husbands right now. It's not a good idea, all right? But, so, even if you married a loser, and, and then you find this other person that's, that's, that you think would be a better person uh, uh, for you and so on, is it okay then? To start a relationship with that person? No, it's not. Marrying another is not lawful. That's called adultery, according to the text here today. Right? So it's not right. But if the abusive husband dies, he's out of the picture, then guess what? That, then now he's off limits, obviously. And now you're free then to experience true marital love. Now, these are kind of cheesy graphics, but you get the idea, right? <laughs> Right. You get the idea. That's the picture that, um, that we find here is, is that in, in order to marry Christ, you must die to Adam. You know, and I, I'm convinced, though, that there are a lot of people who think that you can kind of form this middle, middle way. And, and, and we're presented with two, two paths, the path of life or the path of death. But I think there are some who say, I want to choose the path of death. But the destination of life. Right? right? I want the sin. I want the shame. I want all, all the stuff that it goes with. I don't mind. I, I will live that lifestyle. But I just want to switch over at the last minute. And, and experience the, 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 the destination of death. Right? Is that a possible? That's, is that a possibility that's even mentioned in scripture here? No. The two options are. You're married to the one. Or that marriage dies and you are married to the other. There is no other option. You cannot choose to take the path of death, the path of sin and shame, and expect to get at the destination of life. Amen? Amen. You, you can't expect to do that. Uh, if, if uh, well, just the other day, I was heading over to, to I-131, and I was supposed to go north, and I'm listening to music, and I wasn't paying attention, and I... I ended up hitting the, the, the exit that took me south. You know, I can go south an awful long way, and I will never get to the destination that I was intending to go to, right? right. Why? Because I took the wrong path. And so that's, that's the imagery that we get. You can't serve two masters. Uh, you have to die to one in order to marry the other. And I think there are a lot of people who say, well, I've married Jesus Christ even though they've never died to Adam, the sin of nature, Right? And the uh, and Bible doesn't even leave allowance for that. It's not the way it works. Let's read verse, uh, verse 4. What does it say? It goes on to say, Therefore, my brethren, you have also become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Now he's taking the, the analogy, running it full circle. This is what the analogy means. We have died to the law so that we can be married to another. And if you marry that other one, then guess what? You will experience the fruit of that. It's the real deal. It's, it's the, uh, the fruit that you will experience, and, and it's fruit to God. So the point is we, that we did die to the, our old nature. If, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's a sense in which you have accepted him as your husband. And that's how the analogy goes. In fact, what is the church called all through the New Testament? We're called the Bride, bride of Christ. So we're married to him. If, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're married to him. 
And so that means we have died to that, relate, that old relationship. We have died to our old slave master, our sin natures, so that we can be married to Christ. So here's the question I, I, I want to ask you. If you've experienced the abusive relationship of your old slave master, of sin, then why on earth would you want to go back to the old, sinful, abusive, controlling, deceptive slave master of your own sin natures? Why would we do that? If we've genuinely experienced what is real. The point is that we should be repulsed by sin. Right? You know, a person who's experienced both sides of it, uh, and, and we do, because no one's born saved, right? We, so we have, we, we, if you experience salvation, you experience both sides. You experience what sin is like, and uh, we should be repulsed by that sin. If we have genuinely experienced true salvation, uh, then there should be nothing more repulsive than that. Now here's a caveat. Does that mean that the moment you receive Jesus Christ, no sins will ever be attractive no, that's not what it's saying, all right? That isn't what it's saying. But when you choose to marry somebody, then what are you saying you will do with other attractions? For example, if, say, a man asks a woman to marry, marry him, and, and she says, yes, but I want to make sure I keep my boyfriend, right? All right we've talked, you've used this analogy before. Then what, what is going to happen? The guy's going to say, uh, no, thank you, Right? It's all or nothing. We talked about how Jesus does that. Jesus said it's all or nothing, right? You can't add him to your gods. Jesus is the only way. Amen? Amen. And so, so that's, uh, that's the nature, that's the reality of, of, of the truth. And so I'm not saying that sin will never be attractive, but when, when you accept someone as your spouse, right, what are you really saying about other people? You're saying that I will ignore those attractions. I will ignore all of those things for the sake of building a genuine relationship with, with your spouse, right? For anyone that's been married for more than a month uh, can tell you that, the, that getting married, saying I do on a platform in front of your family and friends and in front of the Lord is not going to mean that no one else will ever be attractive to you, right? Right. Okay. All right. Someone. It's a pretty good right. <laughs> right. But... When we get married, we are saying that I am not going to let those attractions, let those interests, well, interest me anymore. Because I'm focusing on something much better than that. Amen? Amen. And so that's what we do. And guess what? Over time, that does get easier, right? In fact, I, uh, there's a, a gentleman in our congregation today who, um, who I've seen him in several contexts when there were some great desserts available, say, no thank you. Right? Some of you already know who I'm talking about. Uh, and because in uh, several contexts, great desserts right there, but he has learned over, he, over the years to eat what, what's healthy, and, and over time, guess what? Those desserts don't even look appealing to him anymore. Now, this might not sound like a great feat, and I haven't mentioned his name. I'm not, I, I won't mention his name, um, but I will just say that that uh, his wife's monster cookies and scotch roos are awesome, right? I love them, right? Okay, now you all know who it is, right? Because Audra makes the best cookies. But I don't want to embarrass Tom, so I won't mention his name. But, you know, he can, time and time again, he'll pass up those, those desserts. They, they almost seem repulsive to him because he has chosen to, to eat 
a healthy lifestyle and so on. Now, the point of the message today isn't that you, you quit eating desserts, because I, I would be a hypocrite to preach that to you today. But, yeah, someone's saying amen, all right? But, I will say that there's an analogy there that, you know what, the, the, when we make a choice to, 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 to let things that are... That, are, that, that might be attractive to us early in our, in our, in our Christian walk, and we choose to, to not uh, uh, let those things attract us, then guess what? Over time, that does become easier. Does it not? Yeah. I, mean, I love my wife. I love her very much. And the thought of, of bringing in an adulterous relationship right now, any girl I've ever gone out with in my life, it's, a, it's repulsive to me, right? And that's the way we should look at sin. Uh, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, yes, there will be sins that will attract us. But as we go through life and we start rejecting those sins, it becomes more and more repulsive to us. Why? Because we are experiencing the real thing. And, and, and the, the, the further we get from that abusive relationship with our old spouse, in a sense, the sin nature, and the more we experience true love with Jesus Christ, the more we say, I am so glad I'm here and not there. Amen. That's what, that's what it's about. And so we, we, we recognize that because sin is repulsive to us. That's what it should be. So if our salvation is genuine, if our salvation is genuine, we will be so grateful for our relationship with Christ that our old relationship with our sin nature will be repulsive. Isn't that what it's saying as, as Paul recaps all of this in the last couple of verses of this paragraph? Look at verses 5 and 6. Um, we read verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. That's what we had before. Now look at verse 6. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. We don't have to live by the letter of the law anymore. We live, in, we live under grace, right? But if, as we experience that grace, we're going to want to live the way God asks us to live. Why? Because we've experienced the new and we reject the old. Uh, by way of illustration, I've asked, uh, where's Brandon Hollis at? Brandon, can you come, come on up for a moment? Uh, Brandon is, is one of our newest members. We haven't even presented him as a member yet. And, uh, and I'm going to abuse him in a sense today. Um, <laughs> Uh, but he has asked, uh, I've asked him in multiple, multiple times, come on up, Brandon, uh, to do things that I know were outside of his uh, comfort zone. Just come on up here for a second. For a second. Uh, outside of his comfort zone, and, and he has done it every time. And so I've really appreciated that. Uh, so that's part of the reason I'm asking him up here. The other part of the reason is that Alan Troop is on vacation. Uh, <laughs> for those who know. Uh, but I have something that I'd like to to bring up on stage, just, to, just by way of illustration. One of the things that I asked Brandon to do uh, was go on an Algonquin trip with me. And uh, uh, so we went on an Algonquin trip, and I know it was a little bit out of your comfort zone, but you had a good time, right? And one of the things that is an essential part of your gear, if you're going on a backpacking trip, backpacking and canoe trip like we did, is to have a good, a good pair of socks, right? These aren't just regular socks that you know that you just buy from Meyer or something these are these are special socks i mean they uh, they're they're made out of material that will keep your feet warm even when they're wet so that's kind of cool they're really comfortable let me feel that is that is that comfortable 
Yeah, it's comfortable. All right. Um, and that they're even tight in certain places, so that way, when you have all the friction, it's make sure the friction's between the sock and the shoe, and not between your foot and the sock. So they say blister-free, but they're blister-resistant. I think is a more honest way to put it. Um, so, and these, and they're nice. They're, they're comfortable. Um, Brandon, would you be willing to put these on? All right. And then you just just let us know uh, what what you think of them. Sound good? So I'll give uh, Brandon a chance. I know this is, uh, this is not the start of a foot washing ceremony thing at the church. Just in case anyone's wondering, uh, no, we are, we're not brethren church. We are Baptist church. And, uh, and so, yeah. So what do, you, what do you think of them so far, Brandon? Okay, very comfortable. Good. Any other adjectives that you would use to describe them? I'm going to give you a mic. Okay, just say it loud. Outdoor voice. <laughs> They're soft and warm and feel good on, on, uh, on your feet. All right, thank you very much. You can go ahead and take those off. In here, <laughs> I have a very similar pair of socks, but these ones are used. These ones have been through quite a bit. Um, this is, I, I couldn't take them back through Algonquin and bring them back, so I, I did the best I could and created an Algonquin experience right inside this, this box. Um, and for that, I'm going to ask you to put this on the ground here. Uh, all right, and just take these, this pair of socks, put them on. That's, that's all I'm asking you to do. So go ahead and, and tell us what you, what you think as you, as you do it. What, describe what you're... What, what are you feeling right now, Brandon? <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of some, all sorts of a nice concoction of different things that we put in there. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, how repulsed are you by those socks? Oh, I'm getting repulsed by the smell. <laughs> but how repulsed are you by, by these socks right now? It's not very pleasant. <laughs> it's not very pleasant, is it? All right. Now, I did bring, I did bring this for you. If you can take those off. And then there's a bucket with warm water and another towel right through that door over there. So <laughs> go, go down right over there to that door over there. And let's give Raymond a hand. Now, how many of you would have loved to see Alan Troop do that exact same thing? <laughs> All right. So, so thank you, Brandon. I appreciate that. And um, I am going to put this lid back on. I don't know if anyone, maybe in the front, you guys could smell that a little bit. But, uh, but I'll tell you what, it is, it is repulsive. <laughs> it is repulsive. Um, th- the question I have for you is, if you've experienced the real deal, why on earth would you go back to the repulsive? Does that make sense? Yeah. Isn't that really what he's getting at? Why? Once you've experienced the new, if you've genuinely experienced the new, 
why would you go back to the old? So when it comes to the what about you and how we'll close the service today, I want to ask just two simple questions. Number one, do you find sin repulsive? Do you find sin repulsive? I had a friend that, uh, that I worked with for, uh, for a while, and, and he had accepted Jesus Christ. At least he said that he had accepted Jesus Christ. And he was constantly referring to his pre-salvation days as the good old days. And he would see a, a girl that was good looking and say, wow, she's good looking. And he'd say, but in the good old days when I didn't have all these rules, I would have gone after her. It made, it made me question this very principle right here. Do you find sin repulsive? Because if not, if you do not find it repulsive at all, then what does that mean? then that means that there's a good chance you didn't really get it to begin with. That you haven't really experienced salvation. And so oftentimes we, we, we put on socks like this because this is all we know, right? When God has something so much better for us, right? This is a silly, silly illustration, but we get it, right? And, and, and we choose this because we don't know that exists. But if you've experienced that, then you're not going to choose that. You're going to start getting away from that. Um, do you find sin repulsive? Because if not, I don't want you to walk out of here today without knowing for sure that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You, maybe you even thought that you had already done that. But you might be kind of like the woman who said, yes, I'll marry you as long as I can keep my boyfriend and didn't realize that that offer was, became off the table in a sense. Right? Well, the offer's on the table if you're willing to reject everything and accept Jesus Christ as your bride, or, or excuse me, that's bad. Cut that off the tape. That's that, that, Jesus as your groom, and accept him and to be the bride of Christ. And so, so I want to make sure that we understand that if 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 you if you look at sin and say this that's the spice of life, that's the fun, that's the then guess what? You don't get it. This is all you know, and it's time uh, time to to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And deal with that sin once for all. I also want to ask a question for those of you who know for sure you're believers. You've, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and there is a sense in which you, you, have, uh, you are repulsed by sin. But at the same time, maybe there's been some sins that you've allowed in your life that you have not been repulsed enough to, to get them out of your life. And I want to ask you, what sins are in your life right now that maybe even after today and just reading God's word, they're repulsive to you now. But you have allowed them in your life. I want you to take a, just take a moment and think about that and, and, and even say, Lord, what are, what are some of the things that you're showing? What might you be showing me? Because it's time to put on some clean socks. They're available. Amen? First John, one night says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and so, uh, yeah, positionally, when we accept Jesus Christ, it's taken care of, but we don't have to go back and live this way. And in a few moments, we're going to sing. And I want you to pray to the Lord while you're singing and say, Lord, is there anything that you want to show me in my life that needs to change? Any attitudes that you want to see changed? Any actions, any habits, any, any areas of my life where I have allowed sin to no longer be repulsive in my life, but I want to be repulsed by sin today. Does that make sense? And that's what we want today, is to understand that. Let's bow our heads.